Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Okay. Hey, Joey. It's been a long time since we've done Cut for Time, and yeah. it feels good to be back in that rhythm. Yeah. Though have, we we put it off for a couple of days before we could finally find time to get the recording done. So yeah. uh, rhythms so is, maybe rhythm it's that is rhythm. A, yeah, yeah, we're not back in the rhythm quite yet, but we're making it happen. Yeah. Um have there been sermons in the last six weeks that you really wished you had the opportunity mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. cut for time and we didn't do it? Oh, a little bit in the Advent series, but probably more or the when we were looking at John and the woman at the well. Uh, a couple okay. of weeks ago, um, the last sermon of last year, redeeming the woman at the well, um, there was a lot of like really interesting, interesting to me, cultural historical stuff that we dug into a little bit to help us with the interpretation of it. So it would have been fun to talk about that a little bit more. And also, I, I had a few people ask me, like, if you don't know all of that cultural background, do you have any hope of interpreting passages correctly? And I was like, yes. And so I would have gone into that a little bit more, I think, and cut for time. Hmm. People are going to be listening to this and then they're going to be like, what, we need a cut. For answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, text, all right. text us in and tell us you want us to cover it and we will. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Joey. So why don't you give us a recap from your sermon on Sunday, which is uh, our, we're getting back into the Acts series. Yeah. So we're back in Acts, uh, picking up in Acts chapter 10. Um, if I had to do it all over again, we would have gotten this sermon done before the Advent break, because then next week's sermon would have been a perfect recap and ending of the story. Um, because the story we were looking at is told three times by Luke back to back to back. And like it's the story of Peter and Cornelius. And I won't go back into all the details and everything right now, but the main point of the story is how does the early church know? And when I say early church at this point, I mean this exclusively Jewish Jesus movement. You know, Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. So this exclusively Jewish uh, movement, how do they know that the message that they have of forgiveness of sins in Jesus, how do they know that that applies to anyone other than Jews or half Jews like Samaritans or those who have chosen to become Jewish, like the Ethiopian we met uh, back in chapter eight, I think it was. So how do we know? Well, it's the following of the leading of the spirit yeah. is I guess the kind of the main thing. So yeah. Um, so that was basically the, the big question of the sermon was, uh, there was a two-part question. One was the, how did they know in this story, like they, this was the right thing to do. And then uh, you know, the, preaching the message of the of Jesus to Gentiles. And then for us, how do we respond to that message? Because most of us are Gentiles. If this message is for us, how do we respond to it? Mm-hmm. Um, so in those three different tellings yeah. by Luke, do we get like a different perspective from each one or something like some main point? Like in version one, he really highlights this. And in version two, he highlights something different. Like, mm-hmm. or are they all really just repetitive and similar? Like we're not getting no, anything new out of each. We one are getting thing. something new. So each time Luke tells, retells the story, he adds just a little bit of detail or mm-hmm. a little bit of flavor to it. So, um, you know, for instance, when we first see Cornelius, right? Uh, let me pull out my Bible here. So in Acts chapter 10, when we, at the very beginning, there's this guy Cornelius 
Ninth hour of the day, he sees a vision of an angel of God, says, Cornelius, what is it, Lord? Your prayers, your alms have ascended. Now send men to Joppa, bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. That's it, right? So there's a lot of detail there. The second time that story co comes up is in verse 30, when Cornelius tells Peter about the vision. Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. A man in bright clothing said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you, right? So he gives us a little bit less detail, but the same thing. Then in chapter 11, and Pastor Jeff's going to talk about this next week. In chapter 11, when Peter is telling the Jerusalem church about Cornelius's vision, he says in verse uh, 13, he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. So everything Cornelius said is shortened down to that one thing. And then in verse 14, here's new detail. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. That didn't show up before. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke holds that detail until this third time through the telling of the story. So do you think that by saving it to the third time, then it stands out more? Because people are like, yeah, yeah, I know this. I've heard this. I'm hearing this again. this, And then like, if you would have included it in the first time, it maybe wouldn't have stood out as much. I think, yeah, I think it's both like rhetorical in that at each time you tell the story, you add a little bit of detail or variation so that you're not just reading the exact same thing three times. Um, but also, you know, kind of what he holds on to and lets go of, um, serves to focus the story a little bit more as right. well. Yeah. Um, cause that's the whole question in chapter 11, like, can these Gentiles be saved? Well, Cornelius was told, send for Peter. He's going to give you a message by which you will be saved. So, um, that like that detail is really important right then. Uh, you know, another example, when we're first told that Peter heads to, uh, Cornelius's house, it just says, uh, Peter and, uh, he went, uh, some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. That's verse 23. But in verse um, 45, uh, 44, 45, uh, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the spirit uh, had poured out on him. And then I think it's later um, when he actually numbers how many there were. Uh, and the spirit told me, chapter 11, verse 12, and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. So it's like a few and then, oh, some that were there. And then it's six of them. And we need to know, like, it's six. It's a distinct number because these six guys are now there with Peter testifying to, you know, the Jerusalem church leaders. Yeah, this really happened. We also saw it. We were also witnesses. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in your sermon, you did say you got to the part of speaking in tongues and you're like, I could go through all this. I don't have time. We'll cover it and cut for time. So what do you wish you could have said during the sermon? Yeah. Well, there, there was a couple of things. One, I kind of addressed a little bit. And then the other one, I was just like, I, I can't cover it. There's no time. The, the one that I somewhat addressed is the sense in which Peter is being caught off guard by where God is leading him and how Peter is wrestling internally with what of this message that I've been commissioned to preach, like what of it even applies to these guys? I don't get it. Um, because, right, Jesus is the Messiah of Israel for the Jews is 
the general assumption from the very beginning, you know, pre go into all the world and preach the gospel can very easily be understood as go into all the world and preach the good news that Israel's Messiah has come, go to wherever Jews are and preach that to them, right? Um, looking back on it from this side of the Peter and Cornelius story, we're like, oh, obviously that means everyone, right? But they hearing it initially thinking Jesus came for the Jews, like this is this is the, the direction in which they'd be thinking. Um, and we've seen it like kind of broaden out just a little bit to Samaritans, half Jews, and then to those who have decided to become Jewish as much as you can if you haven't been born Jewish. But Peter's been called to go with Cornelius with a Gentile and he's standing in front of the Gentiles and Cornelius said, hey, tell us whatever God told you to tell us. And he's like, okay, but I don't know how does any of this, I don't know how any of this applies to you. Um, so he basically says, well, it appears if God has really given you a message that anyone from any nation who fears him and does what is right um, is acceptable to him. So here's the story of Jesus. Like you've, it happened over there. You know about it. Like here's what happened. Um, and then he ends that sermon uh, that we were looking at yesterday or two days or whatever it was Sunday, you know, um, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, right? And, and again, even there, everyone may not mean every human being. It could just as easily be read to and understood as every Jew, every Jewish one. So he's he's still pulling, you know, and that's from Joel and context he's preached from before and all of this. So he's he's kind of wrestling as he's preaching. I don't know how much of this applies to you. And then Holy Spirit shows up and it's like, oh, Okay. Apparently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So confirmation. Yeah. It, confirmation. Exactly. So it's like, it's happening. Um, and Peter's trying to figure it out. I think in the moment, I don't understand how this really applies to you guys, but here's the basic message. And then, oof, you know, okay. It applies all the way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the next five chapters are the church trying to figure out, well, now what, um, is this legit? Well then, yeah, but if we're not supposed to eat with Gentiles, like how do we get, eat at the same table? Like we're family now because we're all in the same family of Jesus, but that like, is it a kid's table and an adult's table? Like, how does this work? Right. right. And then of course, Paul's letter to the Galatians is all about this and it's working itself through almost all of Paul's letters. Like, here's how you stay in one church. Don't split. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. so didn't have time to deal with that. The other thing I skipped was speaking in tongues. Yeah. Speaking in tongues, this is fascinating because, um, and we've talked about this a little bit before. I can't remember after what sermons, but probably when we were in Acts chapter two, I know we yep. talked about it on Cut for Time. Yep. But there's a huge debate, discussion, argumentation about what does that phrase speaking in tongues mean? Because the word tongue in Greek is literally the word for your tongue. Uh, but sometimes the word also means language. Right. And we use the word tongue the same way. If we talk about someone's mother tongue, right? That's mm -hmm. their their mother language. So we do the same thing with the word tongue. And so usually context tells us, do we translate the word tongue because it's talking about the organ in your mouth? Or do we translate the word language because it's talking about a system of communication through, you know, mouth noises. Yeah. And Paul talks about the tongues of men and angels. And that's 
most likely languages of men and languages of angels, right? Yeah. Um, so different interpreters, like different translators, I should say, are, are making different decisions when they translate because all translation is interpretation. You're trying to understand how do I take that word in that language and turn it into a word in this language. And so you can decide, well, I'm just going to interpret it as literalistically as possible, speaking in tongues. Great. You could also translate it, and this is still a literal translation, speaking in languages. Um, you're just deciding, hey, tongues here means languages like mother tongue does in English. Um, so you're making a little bit of an interpretive decision. But what is speaking in tongues? Some translations say speaking in ecstatic utterances. And this is a, um, a belief that there are such things as... Um, whether it's an angelic language or a spirit-inspired language, that when someone comes under the influence of the Holy Spirit, uh, they will speak in a some form of language that is otherwise unknown to them and unknown to others, unless at the same time the Holy Spirit gives an interpretation of that ecstatic utterance. Do ecstatic utterances actually exist, actually happen, um, is a huge question. Um, right. Can it be explained by other phenomena? Is Are we reading back into the text here the idea of ecstatic utterances? Um, it, it doesn't seem like anywhere else we see the word language or tongue used to to mean or, or used like in other Greek um, other Greek literature from the same time period, we don't see the word being used to mean um, an angelic language, otherwise unknown and uninterpretable without the the spirit's uh, interactive interpretation. Um, so speaking in tongues here, or I should say speaking in tongues in, in Acts chapter two, uh, we said, um, and this, I think that speaking in tongues there is, should be translated speaking in other languages. And it was specific empowerment by the Spirit for a ministry purpose to speak in languages they hadn't studied, but that are discernible and understandable to the hearer so that they could communicate the message of the gospel they'd just been commissioned to preach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember us talking about that in a couple yeah. of times too. Yep. Yeah, and the very act of or the having the ability to speak in a language that was otherwise unknown um, but recognizable to the hearers, that turned out to be a sign, a signifying event to um, to those that were listening. Well, it was a sign and a signal of two things. One, to those who were doing it, it was a, well, the Holy Spirit has come upon us, like we've been empowered for this. And then to those that were hearing, it was a signal of, this is some sort of power we've not seen before. Like something legit is happening here. Right. And that's when Peter gets up because they're all saying, how could this be? These are uneducated fishermen. They're speaking to us in our own trade languages from the other side of the world. And Peter gets up and he's like, they're not drunk, as if that would explain it anyway. He's like, look, they have um, th this. This is the what you read about in Joel. Like, we're going to prophesy this when the spirit comes on us. This is what you would expect to see happen. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10. Um, what we have in Acts 10 is the gospel moving beyond that like last uh, irrevocable barrier of, of course, the gospel of Israel's Messiah, it's not for Gentiles unless they first become Jews. How could it possibly be for them? 
Jesus is Israel's Messiah. And sure, there's all this stuff about, yeah, uh, to Abraham, God says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. But that that probably means something like, you know, you'll be benignly and divinely uh, governed through us, not necessarily forgiveness of sins for all of you all. Like you'll, if you become us, you'll be blessed by us. Yeah. And now it's like, well, you don't have to become us. The, this this upsets everything. So if the gospel is going to go to Gentiles and the church is going to believe that this is legit, like this is real, then it has to go to Gentiles with some sort of hugely signifying event that, yeah, this is incontrovertible proof that God is moving in this direction and we're just following along. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles is accompanied by this sign miracle of now they are able to speak in tongues. Now, how do we translate and understand tongues here in chapter 10? Um, obviously, the event is significant, not so much for the the new believers themselves, the Gentile believers themselves, or at least it's never told to us like, and, and this was confirmation for them of their belief. Um, in 10 and 11, it's it's positioned by Peter as this is how we know that God's really moving because the spirit is falling on them just like on us as at the beginning. So it's a sign for the church that it's God saying, look, this is where I'm going. Do you want to follow? Um, it's God proving to the church that the gospel is going in this direction. But what are these tongues? Obviously, they are um, audible in a, in a way. They're, they interrupt in such a way that it's identifiable as being at least similar to what happened in Acts chapter 2. So they're speaking in languages they had not yet, um, that, that they hadn't studied, they didn't know themselves. Um, it's possible, you know, these guys are hearing them speak in their own languages that wasn't shared, um, but it's Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, you know, it's not a huge pool of, of languages available for those just in the area of Israel. It makes more sense when it's people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, uh, and all of their various languages. It's a lot smaller pool here. So, um, some have read into this then, well, it must be these ecstatic utterances, the language of angels. Uh, there's nothing in the text that tells us that's the direction we have to take it, that it it has to be some sort of angelic language. Um, if we're reading this along the same way that we read chapter two, and especially because Peter says, just like on us at the beginning, I would understand this to say, for some reason, um, uh, for the reason of signifying to Peter and especially those, uh, the really strict Jewish believers in Jesus that were with him, to signify to them that this is where the, this is from God. This is where God is going. The same, uh, the same phenomena is, or the same gift is given to them that they could recognize as being the same one they received way Peter received way back in the beginning. And he can say that's just like back then. Um, so to me, this is probably uh, they are speaking in known languages that the Peter and the other six guys were able to understand. Oh, that's an actual like language, whether I know it or not. Um, and the content of what they're saying is they're extolling God. They're proclaiming the the uh, the gift of God to them. Uh, I think the exact language is, yeah, extolling God. So they're speaking about Jesus. It's just like what happened in chapter two, mm -hmm. other known languages in order to share the message of Jesus. Um, so I didn't have time to cover all of that and try to give the, the nuance and all of that. Um, but the interesting thing here is once the gospel has now broken this barrier to Gentiles, uh, we don't really see tongues um, show up again. 
um, as a signifying event, at least in the narrative of Acts. Um, Paul refers to it a couple of times and how are we supposed to if you speak in another language, then you got to have an interpreter. Otherwise, what's the point of speaking in a language not everyone in the church understands, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, once we get past this point in uh, in Acts, um, let's see, the next time it, it only shows up one more time in Acts chapter 19, when Paul in his ministry is laying hands on, on ones who had not yet received the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they begin speaking in tongues. And prophesying is the word there, which um, either means they're telling new revelation from God, or it means the same thing as they're extolling God. Sure. Um, that's when he's in uh, in Ephesus, I think. Yeah. Um, um, and oh yeah, so when he's in Ephesus, and and he finds already some believers there, and he asks them, "Have did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe?" And they're like, oh, "We haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit. We were baptized into John's baptism." And he's like, "Let's let's finish," you know. Um, and, and, uh, lays hands on them, prays for them. And the Holy spirit comes in and there's this, again, this last signifying event, but other than these, every other time someone comes to faith in Jesus, especially after chapter 11, um, like Paul's preaching in Athens, Acts 17, and it just says, and some believed, right? There's no huge. So it's not something we expect to see today as evidence of our salvation. It's not evidence of salvation. It's evidence that the gospel message applies to Gentiles, now that the church is on board with that, especially in the next couple of chapters, it's okay. Well, I don't need to keep proving that you're going in the right direction. You're, you're already following me. So yeah. Yeah. How long um, did all that take? That was like 20 minutes. That's okay. That was a whole sermon. Um, so these extolling praises to God yeah. that they're speaking, would it have just been their own words that are producing, like being produced in a different language? Or is it like the spirit producing these words that they themselves are like, how am I saying, you know, how like, am I saying this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's a good question. Yeah. 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 Um, cause it's, it's, uh, a, a it, the question is, where's the miracle happening? Is it happening in the generation of content? So in the creating of content, right. words about right. Jesus, um, is that where it is like, I don't know any of these things, but suddenly the spirit is illumining, uh, my understanding and I realize, oh, Jesus is this, and that means this, and this, it all connects, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Is that what is that what is meant, um, or is what is meant the the miracle is in the speaking? So now I have a, a different language and vocabulary with which to express content I already knew, yep. or a combination of those two things right. I didn't understand before now being said in a language I didn't know, or is the miracle in the hearing where I'm either expressing content I knew or content I didn't already know. I'm using the language that I do already know, but you're hearing it in your language. So I think to be consistent there with Acts 2, um, it, it's, I would say for sure, it, it's it's the, they are speaking in a language with a vocabulary that they hadn't previously known. Mm -hmm. um, the miracle never seems to be put in the, that it's happening in the hearers, it's happening in the speakers. Okay. Okay. Um, so even back in two, it's like we're hearing them speak in our language. Doesn't mean I'm pretty sure they're speaking Hebrew, but in the air, it's getting changed to you know Phoenician or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I get yeah. that. It's just uh, they're speaking, you know. And how would the hearer even know that they were saying something? It's like those words don't match the lip movements, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> like true. a bad yeah. dubbed movie. Um, yeah. 
But I, I do think that there's probably a sense of Holy Spirit illumination of either things I didn't know or putting things to, that I did know together in ways that I hadn't realized before. Like when when Peter first gets up and preaches and says, no, 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 no. This is what we would expect to see from Joel chapter two, because Joel says when the spirit comes, you're going to prophesy and see visions and et cetera, et cetera. He's like, oh, that, that applies to this, you know, and that's either he's real smart or it's the Holy Spirit guiding his understanding or both, because that's what Jesus told us the spirit would do, would remind us of what we know and show us how it all connects. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, and is there any um, reference to speaking in tongues in the Old Testament when the spirit has not already been um, in the heart of the people? Let's find out. Let's search the Old Testament. I'm going to search for uh, tongues in uh, the ESV, because the ESV is kind of, it tries to be consistent and only uses the word tongue. It doesn't translate languages. Um, there's a, there's only 133 hits. So um, Isaiah 28, I mean, this is where I would expect to see stuff in Isaiah. Uh, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. Um, so uh, it, just in a quick scam, and I, I can't think of anything. People speak speaking in other languages um, or in an ecstatic angelic language. Um, and it seems like every, every use is either means a language or means the actual organ in your mouth. Okay. Not a phrase I thought I would say on cut for time organ in your mouth. Um, you said it a few, like you said it at the very a few beginning. Times. Yeah. Yeah. It started and it made me think, is it an organ? And then I'm like, Joey knows these things. Of course it's Hold an on. organ. We're Googling this everybody. Is the tongue an organ? Your tongue is a muscular organ in your mouth that aids in chewing, speaking, and breathing. Mm. So I knew it's a it's muscle. I guess I've never thought about yeah. it as an organ. Is it a muscle or an organ? It's a muscular organ. What's the difference? Mm. The things we learn on cup for time. That's right. We never know where we're going to end up, but I think it's always worth it. Yeah, well, we'll let our download numbers decide if it's worth it for us to do our new podcast, Joey Reads the Internet. All right, Joey. Well, um, you are off to Poland, so have a great trip. Yeah, that's right. This is a great reminder, if you're listening, to just pray for the team that is going over there to work and partner with Hashes. And we look forward to hearing about your trip when you get back. And then... yeah. We'll see you back for Cut for Time in just a few weeks. All right. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we got to talk talk about mouth organs for 20 minutes. Hopefully we won't uh, have to do that again until we're in Acts chapter 19. 19 and then we'll have apparently. to explain it again. So Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Will take us another year. I don't know. Okay. Thanks, Joey. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.